All the guests that are visiting with us, thanks for being here. Hope you feel welcome, and you're always welcome to be here. Um, we want to talk uh, briefly today uh, from a bunch of the scriptures about this idea of the promise of a Savior. We've been talking about God's promises over the last several weeks, and we're, we're, uh, we've got a few more of those to go. God has made so many different promises to us in his word, and God's promises can be trusted because God cannot lie. God will always tell the truth. And we've talked about God's promise of comfort. Uh, we've talked about prom- God's promise of, of joy, God's promise of pardon. And today, to tie in with the Lord's Supper, we want to talk about God's promise of a Savior. Now, God's plan for salvation has been in existence ever since before time was even created because of the sovereignty of God. But the time came for us to need a Savior when Adam and Eve, and all of us understand this story, we've all seen the flanographs of Adam and Eve hiding behind a bush because they had sinned and they were ashamed of their sin. Adam and Eve had been given one prohibition in the garden, not to eat from the tree, and they could have any other fruit and any other desire that they wanted, but the one tree God prohibited them to eat from, this was the only thing they could not do. And of course, it's immediately when you're told to do something, you know, you, you tell your kids you're going away, you can do anything you want, you just can't watch TV, that's the thing they want to do. And Adam and Eve failed. And since that very moment, God has been orchestrating his plan to bring a savior to solve man's problem of sin. In fact, in Genesis 3.15, that is the very first time God promises that there will be a savior. He actually makes the promise to the snake when he says, I will send someone to crush your head. And yes, you will bruise his heel, and that's predictive of the cross that Christ would bear for our sins. What does God want to do for each one of us? Well, if you go to some churches, they'll tell you God wants you to win the lottery. Or God wants you to be free from your problems, your physical health problems. The only reason your kids are sick is because you don't have the faith that God really wants them well. God wants us to be happy, healthy, and loaded. That's not true. That's not what God wants. God wants something far greater for us than that. God doesn't want us just to be physically well. He wants us to be spiritually whole. In fact, the Bible tells us what God's desire is towards all people in 2 Peter 3.9 when he says, The Lord is patient towards all of us and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is what God's desire is for you today, to acknowledge your sin and then to come to repentance. I read a passage, it's not the main passage for today, out of Romans for our scripture reading earlier. And we sang a song, Oh How I Love the Savior's Name, and he's got a lot of different names. In fact, the predictive promise of Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled when the angel says, or to Joseph and she, about Mary, she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus actually means God will save or God saves. Said the same thing to Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. There was no mistake about what God wanted to deliver his son to be called. His name would be Jesus. And there's lots of different names that Jesus takes for himself in the Bible. He is called the light of the world. He is called the good shepherd. He is called the way, the truth, and the life. He is also called the last or the second Adam. And I think that's my favorite name for him. 
And in Romans chapter 5, in fact, why don't we turn there just to begin. Romans chapter 5, we read it earlier. Maybe you already have a piece of paper in there or something, or you can quickly find that again. This isn't what I was intending to do, but just to begin, Romans chapter 5 gives us the picture of what the first Adam did and the consequences of that, and what the second Adam did and the consequences of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, In Adam all die. In Adam all die. Now the big thing today is to do the 23andMe or the Ancestry.com, send in your DNA, get told you're a Native American or you know, from the Scandinavian region. Now you know your history. You know your background. We can do a DNA on all of us and all of us would come back 100% sin. That's what the DNA of all of us is. We can trace our grandparents all the way back. All of us, of course, come from Adam and Eve. I mean, that's, you can either believe that or you can believe that you come from a bubbling rock whatever your worldview is, if you believe that matter created all things and that matter is eternal, then you believe that your great ancestor is some sloth that crawled out of some soup. Or you can believe, as the Bible tells us, that God made Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve produced after their kind, just like every other creature God made. And so all of us can track back. All of us, in a sense, are, uh, are and this is a gross phrase, but it's something I read, are in Adam's loins, right? Adam has procreated to the, to the point that the 7.8 billion people or whatever's on the world all can be traced back to him. But the scripture tells us that because of that, because we are all from Adam, in Adam all die. Here's what theologians believe. I'm pretty sure I believe this, but I'll step over here just in case I change my mind someday. That Adam was given the opportunity for all people to either obey or disobey. And when he chose to disobey, the consequences fell to all of us, so it's as if we also disobeyed in him. And even if we don't believe that, the fact that he sinned, he passed on that nature to us. And there's some real interesting words in Genesis where it says, and, uh, and God created Adam and made him in his image, that is, in God's image. That doesn't mean God looks like Adam or God looked like a man. It meant that God was, Adam was created with the ability to have relation with God, to, to fellowship with him, to have, commun, to have communion and, and a relationship with him, and to, be, and to have a moral code and all that. And then in Genesis 5, this is after Adam and Eve sinned, it says Adam and Eve you know, conceived and had a child, and he was made in Adam's image. Genesis 5, 1 to 3 say that. So, so everyone after Adam and Eve are now made in his image, meaning in that sinful, stained, damaged image. Here's how basically we can, we can describe it. God formed us. Sin deformed us. That, that's, that's how all humanity is now deformed. You say, well, not me. You know, I, I, I'm not as deformed as you. And that may be true. But all of us are deformed to the, to the degree that we will die. No one can dispute that. People may try to prolong it or, or delay it, but everybody's going in the ground. All of us will die. This is the proof of what God said regarding sin, that in Adam all die. Look at Genesis, or Romans 5.12. This is what I was just describing to you. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, if you've been listening, you know who that one man is. It's Adam. Sin came into the world through that man. I just described it to you. And death through sin. Death is the byproduct of sin. All of us will 
will die. And death spread to all men, and we could say all mankind, all women and men, because all sinned. All of us are sinful by nature and therefore commit acts of sin. This is the description that God makes here in Romans 5 of Adam. And then you kind of go down in the passage. We're not going to uh, talk about the whole passage here. But now we look down to uh, verse number um, 18. Let's skip all the way to verse 18. So, one trespass, that's just another word for sin. One trespass led to condemnation for all men, for all mankind. All mankind stands condemned before God because of our sin. But one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, who's the one man's disobedience? Adam again. Many were made sinners. But by one man, that is Jesus, his obedience, many will be made righteous. That's why Jesus is called the second or the last Adam. The first Adam was given the obligation, obey. He failed. The second Adam came, given the obligation, obey. He succeeded and therefore could go to the cross and die because he did not have to die for himself. He could die for us. And simply by faith and trust in that death, we can have salvation. That is the message of the gospel, that God saves. And his promise of a Savior is seen throughout the Old Testament until finally Mary and Joseph get the word that the child will be born and the angels announce that unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. The promise has been fulfilled. But I want to make three very quick points, and again, they will have to be quick because of the rest of our service today, on what this means for all of us, what this gospel message means for all of us. So three very quick applications for us that will provide guidance for you. Maybe it is today that you're here and you understood everything that I said and you're in total agreement and you've already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and all you have to say to all I just said is, praise God and I can't wait till the Lord's Supper where I can celebrate this. Then some in here may be you know, just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm very confused and I pray that the Lord would enlighten you here as I try to make more sense about it. But the urgency today is that you would receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and therefore have forgiveness of your sins. So let's talk about this idea. Does Jesus save first? Number one, this Savior is desperately needed. That's what I want to say first. It is desperately needed. All of us need this promise, this Savior. Jeremiah, and, and I'm just going to reference verses rather than us turn to those today. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? All of us have this incurable disease. In fact, the word I just read, desperately wicked, actually means to be in poor health, incurably sick. There is something deathly wrong with you. You know how you, you'll, you'll go online sometimes or you'll hear stories about friends of ours or people that are dealing with something and, and it seems like there's all these new and wild diseases like the flesh-eating bacterias or the, or the thing, you know, I, I, I was eating something and some, some guy uh, was on a basketball team this week and ate something and got terribly sick. And, and there's, there's dangers for all of us to, to get sick or diseases just from living in a sinful world. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the desperate, deadly disease of sin that all of us are facing. Um, 
Because as I just read in Romans chapter 5, death came through one man and it passed to all so that all have sinned. Even though we might like to think of ourselves as not as bad as somebody else, we are still sinful and in, in need and deserving of punishment. Here, here's, here's a Bible term for us, for us all. It's the word depravity. It's a word that means you're totally corrupt and completely perverted. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could be. But it means you're as bad off as you could be. Because all of us, even though we're sinners, you know, I would hope that none of us in here have gone to, to murder somebody or committed some sort of horrible sin act. And so that makes us kind of back off our sin a little bit and say that we're really not that bad. But the Bible in calling us depraved says no matter how many sins we've committed, let's say, let's say we've only committed a few and we're a good person. I like to do this with people that are somewhat irreligious and think they're going to go to heaven because they're good people. And I draw a ladder on a piece of paper and I'll say, like, who do you think is the best, most godly person who's ever lived? And, and they'll, they'll rack their brain for a minute. And a lot of people say, Mother Teresa. They say, Mother Teresa, is the, well, she's the greatest person I can think of. Or they might say Billy Graham, or they might say some other, the Pope, or some religious person that they know. A lot of them say Mother Teresa. Okay, so on this ladder, if you could envision a ladder in your mind, on this ladder, if the top of the ladder is God, and the bottom of the ladder would be like the worst possible sinner, where do you think Mother Teresa would fall? They put her way at the top of the ladder. Well, where would you fall? Of course, they don't want to put themselves above Mother Teresa, so they put themselves downward. It doesn't matter, the point I make then, it doesn't matter where on the ladder you fall. All It's like the ladder doesn't reach God. There, there is a gap that cannot be bridged no matter how close you get. You know, like if I said, okay, let's all come up on the stage and take a running leap and you've got to jump all the way to the tile in the back. How many would do it? How many would jump, you know, say, all the way to the tile in the back. Not one person in here would do it. Some of us would get closer than others. Right? I'm, Derek would probably get the closest. Right? But all of us would fail. All of us would fail. So if you imagine it that way, I'm going to get to heaven. Some of us might feel like, because we're not maybe as bad as others, that we might make it more closer, but none of us are making it. Sin is that deadly disease that affects all of us and endangers us for eternity. And there is, get this, there is no human solution to solve this problem. There is no antidote to make your sin solved or fixed before a holy God that somehow you are provided. Well, I'll just work a little harder. I'll just be a little better. I'll go to church a little bit more. I'll give a bigger offering. I'll get baptized. All that stuff doesn't matter. None of that matters. The only antidote is the Savior, Christ. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Our condition as sinners is desperate because it not only affects our physical self, it affects our spiritual self. I could, I could come down with a life-threatening disease later this week and I could be physically threatened, but I am not spiritually in danger because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior to take away my sins. And so I, even though I may be physically in danger, I am internally safe. And so many people get that backwards. They want to be physically okay, and they give no thought to eternal matters. They just kind of assume that God is going to accept them, that God is going to be this kindly old man that lets everybody in, even though the Bible doesn't say that. 
The Bible says that death spreads to all men and all have sinned. If we look a little further in our Bibles, Romans 6, you're, you're close to there right now. Romans 6, a very familiar verse, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That is the payment that we receive for our sins. It used to be illustrated to people like if someone was out, I think I've said this to you recently, if someone was out in the middle of the ocean drowning and a luxury cruise line came by and you invited them to come on, right? What, what kind of situation, I mean, we've read, maybe you've read the story of Louis Zamperini who's out on a raft by himself for 60 days and, you know, or whatever it is or people lost at sea. We've heard those types of stories and a ship comes by and you say, hey, come aboard. No, thanks. Hey, we got shuffleboard, a buffet, beautiful room, hot shower, all you can eat. I'm doing fine right here. Now, biblically, we know that that's not even true because in a, in a sense, that person is really already dead at the bottom of the sea, right? They're spiritually dead. But the idea of someone who is offered this opportunity for deliverance, imagine the people who were on the Titanic and, and if a boat came by and they just decided to stay in the water, we would call those people fools, wouldn't we? We'd say, you're idiots for not accepting the ready deliverance that is there. And so all of us who are in this desperate condition of being sinful, we'd rather sink to the bottom and die saying, no, we're fine, I don't need it. I can't tell you how many people that I've shared the gospel with that that is their response. They say, I'm okay. That's what they say. I'm okay. I've knocked on these doors over and over dozens of times, invited lots of people to church. I'm okay. The Scripture is clear to us that salvation is desperately needed. Second, I told you there's no solution in ourselves. There's no solution in ourselves. So you must just simply realize your guilt and your need and then realize the second thing, that salvation, not only is it desperately needed, it is sacrificially provided. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 if you're writing that down, but then, then get to 1 Peter chapter 1. It is sacrificially provided, meaning it is provided by someone else. Your salvation is provided by somebody else other than yourselves. There are really two options for everybody in the world. You can either choose to try to save yourself through your good works, or you can trust in the Lord Jesus and His death on the cross for your salvation. Those are really your only two options. And everybody who trusts in this option over here that I'm just going to be a better person is going to be sadly let down because our good works are unacceptable to God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 describes this uh, sacrifice that Christ made. And it's the sacrifice that we're going to celebrate in just a second through our Lord's Supper. Knowing this, this verse 18, knowing this, you were ransomed, delivered, saved from your futile ways inherited by your forefathers. We've already talked about that. Our sinful condition that was inherited. We've all inherited that. You were not delivered with perishable things like silver or gold, but you were redeemed, verse number 19, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This, the, the serum that is needed, the antidote that is needed to save us from our sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. 
But the blood of Jesus Christ is shed for us that we might have our sins forgiven, but it must be accepted by us as well. Let me make a couple thoughts about this. First of all, this was not an accident. I just read it in the passage. He was foreknown from the foundation of the world. God had planned from the beginning to solve our need by providing a Savior for us. His promise in Genesis 3.15 was planned even before the foundation of the world. Remember when Jesus appeared and John said, John the Baptist said, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is a substitutionary atonement. Christ is our representative on the cross. I belonged there. We all belonged there. But the great news of the Gospel is that Christ substituted Himself in for us. And I try to think of all different ways to to illustrate this. And, And I don't want to be trite about it, but it's almost like I try to think of a, a terrible situation that's maybe not too terrible, um, where like you're driving down the road and there's a horrible monsoon happening and a family on vacation, their trailer has a flat tire. Right? That's a kind of a terrible situation. And you're driving along and you wish you could stop, you got somewhere to be, and you say something, man, I wouldn't trade places with that person for anything. Right? We've used that phrase before. I wouldn't trade places with that person. And yet, trading places with us is just what Christ did by taking our sin on the cross. This is what the word vicarious means. It means that Christ substituted Himself in place of us. Where I deserved death, He took my place. Here's basically how it worked. God has given all of us an obligation to do everything that He says. And the standard for his, that he has set for us is 100% perfection. Okay, So let's go back to this idea of sin. It's 100% perfection. Does anybody in their arrogance today want to raise their hand and say, Andy, I have always, 100% of the time, done everything right, everything God has told me to do, without question, not one failure no one would say that. And because of that failure, we deserve punishment. It doesn't matter how bad the failure is. Christ, same position. He became a man, and he is now asked to fulfill all of his obligations to do everything right. And Christ, if he were sitting in here today, could say, yes, I have fulfilled all those obligations. So now Christ in his perfection and us in our sin have a problem. God has to punish us. But God in His love says, instead, I will punish my Son on the cross where I should punish you. Are you all tracking with me here? Like, you deserve this punishment, Andy. But I will punish my Son, Jesus, instead, even though He doesn't deserve it. And He will gladly take take your place. That's That's what the Bible says. He died the just one, or the righteous one, for the unrighteous one. Derek read it in our passage today. Uh, for, for once in a while, we'll see that a man will give his life for somebody else. For a good man, some might even dare to die. But Christ, while we were yet sinners, died for us. And so now what happens is, as He substitutes for me, as He takes my place, I can be forgiven if I would simply Call out in the name of the Lord and ask for that salvation. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us 
He has been made a curse for us. He, that is Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree. But this is all just, it, it means it's all just provided for. It has to be received. It's, it's almost like when you receive a gift card. You receive a $25 Starbucks card. It's all paid for. What good is it if you lose it, throw it away, or never use it? Like the provision hasn't done anything. Yes, Christ died on the cross, shed His blood for our sins, but it's only a provided sacrifice, meaning you must do something to receive it. Otherwise, all of us would be going to heaven. And so to receive it, you must simply believe and trust and have faith that Jesus saves you and ask Him for forgiveness and He promises to do that completely, totally wiping away your sin. Number three. So, this salvation is desperately needed. It is sacrificially provided. And this is third and last and best. And we're almost done. It is freely offered. Freely offered. So I think about our three key words. It is salvation was needed. It was provided. And now it is offered. There is a living, powerful God who loves all of us and has provided His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect, obedient life, dying an in-our-place death, paying the debt to God we owed so that we can simply, by faith, receive that salvation. The offer is free. Um, we, used to, when we used to drive by the Krispy Kreme donut plate. Krispy Kreme's been in the news this week. You hear about this guy that wants to sell Krispy Kreme donuts to everybody, but... You ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? Okay, yeah. If you had, you know what I'm talking about. But you go by and sometimes the light would be on. And if you went in when the light was on, you got a free one. meant they were making them and you could come in and get a free one. We always stopped for that free donut, always. I mean, we could have had like needing amputated arm and we'd stop and get our Krispy Kreme donut. That free offer was so tempting. There was, there was nothing doing but to go in. And how silly is that to think about? You think back to the guy in the, in the water and the ship going by and the free offer of salvation. And we read that in Romans 5 today. The free gift of salvation. It's, a, it's free. And here I am offering it to you today. Like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Paul is talking about uh, being an ambassador for the gospel and urging people as if Christ were here, urging them to respond. And I've, I've tried to do that pretty clearly today, to urge you to respond to the gospel. And now I'm saying it's free. So all you have to do to obtain eternal life, peace, forgiveness of sins, home in heaven, all you have to do to obtain that is to ask for it, to repent of your sins, to acknowledge your wrongdoing before God. All you have to do is say to God, I am a sinner, I admit this, but I realize Christ died in my place for my sins. Will you please give me salvation? And every time... A sincere person asks that question, God gives that person salvation. I can't imagine going one more day myself if I wasn't certain of this in my own life. I can't imagine. I, I, if I was uncertain that if I were to die, where I would go, I'd be like losing my mind. I, I, I would be searching out all kinds of help. And, and now here I'm telling you from God's Word, I've shared a lot of different verses with you about our sin and Christ's sacrifice. Now from God's Word I'm saying, and we read, how many verses did we read? That's why I chose some of these for the beginning when Derek read them. Believe, this is as simple as it is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. What a, what a beautiful offer that is for all of us. So the encouragement to you today is to consider whether or not you truly know Christ and to give yourself to Him today. Let's pray and get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Father, we want to thank you for the promise of a Savior and all that Christ has accomplished for us at Calvary. We're so grateful, Father, for this free gift of salvation. If there be one in here today that is unaware or unsure of their salvation, would they please seek somebody out and desire to know more about this? Maybe I've been confusing today, Lord, and forgive me if that's been the case, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would take what has been shared and convict the listener of their need for salvation. And for the rest of us who do know Christ, may this time of celebration of the Lord's Supper be a sweet and special moment for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.